Hi, friends. Welcome to season two of Bar of the Conference. I'm your host, Derek Scott III. Today's episode is with Dion Hammond. Dion is an elder in the Florida Annual Conference and currently serves as the district superintendent of the Atlantic Central District. She and her husband, Craig, who is also an elder, live in Melbourne, Florida. Dion and I are friends, and that is the context of this extended interview. In this conversation, we talk about Dion's upbringing and call, and also the choices and events that have made the last few years some of the hardest in her ministry. What you're about to hear is Dion sharing her story and our conversation around it. Her story intersects with other stories for sure, including mine, and all of them have their own validity in space but I was interested in hearing Dion's perspective and the ways that the struggles of our denomination have challenged her sense of belonging within the UMC. Regardless of your positions or convictions, this is an episode that will be informative for all of us who want the UMC to be a spiritual home for all. I'm so grateful for Dion's trust and willingness to share her story with me and now with you. So you know what to do. Grab that notebook, that choice beverage, and let's listen to this exceptional interview with Dion Hammond. Dion Hammond, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Oh, it's great to be with you, Derek. Really good right now. Oh, Thank you so much for joining me on Bar of the Conference. Um, I'm just grateful for the friendship that we have and the ways that um, I just watch God do some really, really beautiful stuff just with the ways that you and I interact. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm really grateful for your willingness to join me in this conversation. you know, I know a lot about Dion and Craig and your ministries, but um I'd love to hear just from the beginning how Dion became a United Methodist Christian, how God's prevenient grace um, was active in your life and bringing you into the church. Yeah, great question, right? Thank you, Derek. And it's always, it truly is always good to be with you in particular, my friend. So, Mm. and I, I appreciate your friendship over the years and how we have been able to serve together and pray together, laugh and cry together. So yes, yes. Love it. All, all good. So um, my story, like so many, is just a lots of different moments and experiences of grace along the way. And I had that date and time moment where I actually accepted Jesus into my heart as my Lord and Savior. And that was uh, when I was 12 years old. But not until later did I realize that that God had been working in my life in so many ways, making all things good out of some really hard and stressful moments. So, so while I had that experience at 12, really my beginning starts 
where I would say with my baptism when I was just a little one-year-old at the Episcopal Church in Great Neck, Long Island. And my parents brought me there to be baptized. However, we didn't attend that church. And we uh, lived a little bit further out on Long Island, which is part of Metro New York. So I grew up in New York and uh, went to church kind of here and there. Went to the Methodist church at one point. Remember singing Kumbaya. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And making some paper um, kites, actually. Isn't that funny? And then we were in the Episcopal church, Congregational church, Presbyterian church, but not regularly. And then when I was about five years old, my parents went through um, a really horrible, terrible divorce. And my, my older sister, she was born with profound disabilities. And that's a whole long story. It was a genetic disorder that Carla had. And that really fractured the marriage even before I was in the picture. And so by the time I was five, they no longer could uh, be with each other. So my dad, back in those days, he moved out to California and my mom stayed in New York. And and um, and I just remember I was the first child in my class, my kindergarten or first year, first grade class that had divorced parents. Mm. And I remember that mm. as being just a really profound thing. Like I was embarrassed even as a kindergartner. And um, so and it was a hard time. My my mom had suffered some abuse and I saw that as a very young child. And um, and and so I can put myself back to that those moments like right now, years Mm. later. Um, And then my mom remarried and life sort of normalized and. About a year and a half after she remarried, she uh, found out she had premenopausal breast cancer. So my sister at this point is profoundly disabled. And back then, which I hate, she was institutionalized. So it was only me at home and my mother going through this horrific journey of cancer. And my stepdad is kind of holding it together as much as he could. And um, mom in and out of the hospital, very ill and dying when I was 11. So at that point, um, I had been brought to church by some family friends to the Presbyterian church. And I was singing in the children's choir and playing handbells and kind of just and that's where the provenient grace like I see Mm. God at work in so much of that and did have the. Couldn't articulate it, certainly at that point, but God working in my life and even providing some people who brought me stability and love and acceptance and belonging uh, to a a child that felt very um, alone, lonely, very, very lonely. And uh, after my mom's death, obviously a devastating time. And, you know, back then, you didn't bring a child to a, a, a therapist to talk about feelings and things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, they didn't really tell me a whole lot with, of what was going on. And I just knew she was, my mom was really sick. And 
After that, the plan was for me to move to California with my father because my father still lived out in California, my stepdad. But again, in God's prevenient grace, um, it ended up that I stayed with my stepdad, Steve, who was really for all intents pur purposes, my, my father. And so it was just me and him. And uh, about a year later was when I got connected through a, a friend at school to another church. And that church was um, a church that had a youth group. And, and all of a sudden, I was welcomed into this youth group. And, and they became my family in many ways. And there were other people that were, you know, stabilizing influences. But this church became where I knew I was loved and um, where some of the broken pieces were starting to be put together. Mm -hmm. And about a year later was when I actually made that commitment to Christ. And it was, I, I always laugh when I'm up at Lake Junaluska because it's, it wasn't far from there. And it was one of those hellfire and brimstone sermons. It was not this kind and, compassionate Jesus that I was hearing about. <laughs> <laughs> and in some way, shape or form, God still used it. And I've often thought that had I known what I was agreeing to at that moment, would I have made the decision that I made? But God, in, in God's grace, mm -hmm. through. So, um, so fast forward, very involved in that church. And that was a, a great source of hope and love for me. And you know, in a youth group where I was bringing my friends to the youth group and some, mm. some great pieces there and then ended up at a Wesleyan college. So uh, a Wesleyan college in upstate New York. And and those four years were very formative for me. And um, and I started to sense that God was doing more in my life, but I wasn't quite sure how. And, and back when I was in high school, or actually junior high, in the youth group that I attended, I did hear this missionary speak. And this is back to my own call and to ministry. And, um, and thought, wow, that's something that I'd be definitely interested in. But because the church that I was involved with did not have uh, women in ministry, and I like to say Formally, they didn't have women in ministry. Right, right. We're running the church. You know that, my friend. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No titles, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we know making who's the, keeping the lights on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, making the decisions. Yeah. Um, I didn't know how to translate that. Mm. And so I just sort of let that go. And then another significant moment that I remember in, in high school was that I, I, was elected to be president of our youth group because we had presidents. Why? I don't know, but we mm -hmm. did. But I could not be the president because I was a female. Oh, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. What What year was this? Um, not year. Like what year? It, like yeah. year in high school? Oh, oh, I would say it was probably my sophomore or junior year. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, Dion. Yes. And that I remember, you know, and certainly my friend that became the president and somehow I was on the steering team or, you know, maybe I, I don't know what role I had, but um, I remember it. Right. That's that's the piece of it. I remember oh. that I wasn't allowed to. 
So, so fast forward to college. So I go to this college and I have this profound experience with a, a female professor in the sense that I see this strong and articulate woman leading and um, she was my history professor and started understanding Wesleyan theology and not even looking for it. That's the cool thing about it. Wasn't even looking for it. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of college met my husband, Craig, and um, the funny part, and this is no joke, when we started dating, he had come from another college and I asked him at one point, you know, what was your major? He said, I was a religion major, but now I'm a history major. So I said, you were a religion major? And I literally said, I hope you got that out of your system. <laughs> I mean, it worked the word. Well, so, so we know our, our God has a, a huge sense of humor because that's mm. just not where my mind was at. I was history hoping to go into law and that was my plan. And, uh, and that had been a plan for a while. And then I did a semester in DC and decided not to be an attorney. And that was probably the best decision I made. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And at that time, after college, went back to my uh, church on Long Island and I didn't, it didn't fit anymore. So love the people, still have deep, close friendships with friends from there, learn scripture there mm -hmm. in a profound way. Um, and, and at the same time, it didn't fit. And, and at this point now, Craig and I are dating, going to get married. And he, he never thought it really fit because he was coming from a Wesleyan church. And so, mm -hmm. um, and I'm a very loyal person. So these people that had raised me, had loved me, had welcomed me into the church, had grown me up, supported me supported me doing so many things. Um, I, I would not leave that church. That wasn't something that even ever crossed my mind. Mm. And Craig felt a sense of a call into ministry and wanted to go to seminary. So, mm. so we decided to make a major move and move out of the New York Metro area mm -hmm. and, and originally went back to Western Michigan where Craig is from. And he started attending uh, Western Seminary at on the campus of Hope College in Holland, Michigan, and his hmm. family's all in the Western Michigan area. And there we ended up at First United Methodist Church of Holland, Michigan. Hmm. Yeah. And you have to understand also, in Western Michigan, it's Reformed land. So it's Christian Reformed Church, mm -hmm. Reformed Church of America, Calvin College, Hope College, very Dutch, kind of the frozen chosen. Like that's the <laughs> feeling. Yeah. So uh, to the United Methodist flavor is is an not the popular, not not popular is not the right word. It's not but I get it. Not yeah. Not yeah. So we ended up at, at First United Methodist Church of Holland, Michigan, and Went to church, I remember one Sunday, and by that time we had our little girl, Kaylee. And while worship was good, it wasn't phenomenal. Preaching was just so, it was okay. Everything was okay. And someone welcomed us at the back of the church and invited us, a young dad, and we were 
young parents to their Sunday school class the following week. So the next week we got up and, and I remember saying to Craig, if we're going to go to First United Methodist again, let's go a little early and go that Sunday school class. So we did. And in that class, we found deep community and people who were willing to share their broken story. Specifically, two couples in that class, it wasn't a large class, maybe 12, 14 people had children, babies that died of SIDS. Mm. And so, and they started sharing this the same morning I was there. Well, I'm crying and these are my people. They could, you know, these are who I want to be with. And that's what brought us to that church. Mm. And then, um, through, we ended up being the junior high youth directors and, and <laughs> yeah, we got recruited pretty quickly and took, I took disciple Bible study there. And another big piece of my own call happened because the associate pastor uh, was Susan Hagens and she was the first female pastor I ever encountered. And she mm. was a phenomenal preacher I would even say probably better than the senior pastor. Mm -hmm. And she didn't even know who I was. It's not like she and I had this relationship, but she made such an impression upon me. And I could see myself, I could start seeing myself doing what she did. Yeah. And um, it was cool. A couple of years ago, I actually emailed her and used her, the story I had with her in a Mother's Day sermon. And um, shared with her that, and and she wrote me this beautiful email back, and she she didn't know who I was, but how her how her life, how her ministry impacted me, and uh, it was really cool because she was going on to be she had gone on to be a DS and some other pieces that just was was a cool part of the story. But but so Susan really impacted me, and um, Craig ended up transferring to Asbury Seminary in Kentucky. And I worked for the seminary. I had this job in uh, as the director of conference ministry. So, and, and I was able to take some classes for free and started taking some classes, just thinking I'll take advantage of this benefit. And all this time, none of this is coming together for me as a call into any sort of formal ministry. And then I had this experience where I was, one of my professors asked me to teach one of his classes, just a session the following semester. And it was in that class that he pulled me aside afterwards, put his hand on my shoulder and said, Dion, I think you're called into the ordained ministry. Hmm. And, and Craig had kind of been saying that to me all along, like, what would you think about? And I'm like, I'm not doing the pastor thing. <laughs> no. And so when Dr. His name was Donald Joy, when he said that to me, I had to take note. Not, not a whole lot of note, but a little bit of note and just wonder what God was doing. And um, all the while I kept getting tapped for some different things to just lead in some different things. So it was all kind of coming together. And then um, we ended up meeting a district superintendent from Florida. And that's how we got to Florida. And my, my dad had by that time moved to the Hollywood area. So we were, you know, with the New York people down in Florida, that was us or me in particular. And so we ended up in Florida, transferring to the Florida conference in 
uh, I think it was 1997, 96, 97, and ended up at First United Methodist Church of Coral Gables to begin our time in Florida. Mm-hmm. And so technically, what my home church is actually Coral Gables, out of which I my candidacy came as I became a candidate for, for ministry in that place. So, yeah, that's the short story, sort of. <laughs> oh, man, that's uh, so much. And thank you um, for sharing, particularly the um, the part of your early life. I'll keep us moving forward. I'm, cu- I'm curious, Dion, as you were going through candidacy and moving into an ordination track, were there voices that unintentionally became unhelpful along the way as you were continuously discerning and then doing work and and going through the process? That's a really, that's a great question. I think some of the voices, and, and you know, it's interesting. It was more the voices in my head, not mm-hmm. voices people actually articulated to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but doubts, wondering what maybe some people I grew up with that were very formative in my life, my, my pastor, you know, that I, mm-hmm. I loved and some of those people, what would they think? Hmm. Um, and the cool thing is, long, you know, many of them have affirmed my decision to move into ordained ministry. Mm-hmm. So it, it really, as I even say that, it just makes me, again, remember, don't let the voices in my head take over, right? Yeah. Like create these stories that some many times are not there. And... Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that, you know, interestingly enough, I, I would say the other voice that became a somewhat destructive, unsupportive voice was when we actually moved to a new church in Tampa and uh, a woman my own age. So now I'm in my early 30s and she had told and I shared this one time when I served as the chair of elders and I shared this at a clergy session, um, mm. actually, <laughs> That she told me we're side by side working at something at the church and we were brand new, this young family. And she was telling me how thankful, how grateful that they were, that that Craig had been sent as their pastor. And I thought, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. And so I'm obviously, yeah, no, we're happy to be here. And then she said, yeah, we were so scared we were going to get a woman. And I remember just being so taken back because this was not, I did not expect this from this person. It didn't mm. fit the profile, so to speak. Yeah. She was a young mom. And I, someone I thought I was going to be very close to. Hmm. And she knew I was in seminary. So I, you know, as I think about that over the years, I thought, why did she even say that to me? Yeah. So I would say some of the voices that, were discouraging that raised doubts were right there in the United Methodist church, Mm. you know? Um, So that, that, 
I remember it. Whew. Yeah. They didn't stay at the church, by the way, for a long time. They ended yeah. up moving on, right? That's yeah. Some, sometimes people uh, receive their invitations yeah. in different ways. There was a time, at least in the Florida conference, mm -hmm. that I was not aware of our deep theological and institutional diversity. Right. Theological, obviously, in the sense of just where we landed on some very specific core convictions. But even institutionally, I, I, there was a time that I was not as aware of the ways that some thought that there was way too much happening at the conference level and not enough emphasis in the local church. Mm -hmm. um, antagonisms between the general church and agencies and what was happening. And like, I, I didn't, I didn't hear about it. I did. And I, I, I used to think that the reason I wasn't aware of it was because I just wasn't, wasn't as involved. Like I just wasn't in a lot of the spaces where that could be talked about, but I'm actually wondering if there was actually this period of time that we just, it's not that we didn't have that diversity. It just wasn't, the thing that was being talked about. I mean, am I? No, I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, we, we, looking back, we know we did. And there was this, maybe it was just me feeling, interpreting it this way. So I'm not saying this was mm -hmm. everyone's story because I'm sure it wasn't, but some sort of collective harmony mm. and, um, and maybe acceptance. I'm not even sure if those are the right words. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember some, I do remember I was thinking about this a little bit about some of the initiatives that perhaps brought some commonality and purpose to us. Like, you know, no more malaria. And right. yeah. while you, while we maybe don't realize the, how important some of that is. It was important. Yeah. So I so you, I exactly agree with you. I, I was maybe naive. I don't know if that's the right word or just not connected to the, the pieces that were the divisive pieces of our annual conference. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate you even naming, like looking back, we can see that these differences were there. And I sometimes wonder if we, I know in some specific areas, we did not have the tools and maybe in some respects, the courage to go there, mm -hmm. to learn how to um, talk about difference and to know that there could be relationships on the other side of that. Um, right, right. Not until maybe the murmurings of, I think 2014, 2015, as um, someone had approached me and said, you should put your name in to be on the delegation. Mm, I was like, mm -hmm. really? Okay. And um, did. Mm -hmm. And I think that was then my entry. Yeah. <laughs> in oh, well, and same. I was 
told I was associate conference lay leader at the time and working uh, under the lay leader at the time, Russ Graves. And um, again, I don't think Russ and I knew <laughs> the depth of difference. <laughs> or and, and we talked about so many things. Right. But Russ um, was like, Derek, you need to put your name in to go to general conference. And I'm I knew nothing. <laughs> I just right. knew. I, I feel like I knew nothing, like looking back. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that was my first general conference. That was going to be my first general conference. It's where yeah. um, I know that you and I had had some, you know, passing interactions in different ways up until that point, but that was, that was, um, really it. That was it. Um, I was even such a place where I went uh, just having decided, okay, I will put my name forward to be elected a, as a delegate. And I went to the gathering of the female clergy. And I remember now Bishop Sue, but Sue had said, you know, we want to elect a diverse slate and we want women to be a part of that. And I, I was like a hundred percent in, like I had my own convictions around multiple multiple topics. Mm -hmm. And I really thought a diverse group would represent Florida well. So diverse theologically, diverse mm -hmm. ethnically, culturally, mm -hmm. diverse in our gender, diverse mm -hmm. in our age. Yeah. And yeah. so I was all about that. And when I was ultimately elected, felt so honored and humbled to have been a part of the delegation. Yeah. It was a, it was a, big moment for me. And I, I had not a whole lot of understanding of what general conference was and, you know, and, and I really came to appreciate our delegation mm -hmm. as, as diverse as it was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of wish we would, we would have hung out more simply. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I remember trying to organize around dinners out in Portland, you know? Um, oh. So and it was so hard. Like it was yeah. a hard time too. It was a really hard time. Yeah. So. And again, Dion, I do remember these moments of connecting in 2016. Um, we're just less than feet away. I mean, just, you know, the proximity of our tables and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And. And I remember the the just being in the room, you know, together as a delegation after yeah. you know plenaries or things like that, and and um, no clue what was coming. I mean, just no concept no. to see what might be ahead. No. Um, we'll talk specifically about some some of those events um, in a bit, but I'd love to hear a little bit, you know, as we experienced 2016 and then began to prepare ourselves to be seated as delegates at the special session of 2019. Mm -hmm. We had these three plans in front of us trying to, um, I, I, I do think at least for you and I, trying to think through what was going to hold the denomination together Right. Um, what was going to um, try to protect our local congregations, but also recognize that we were at a place around some specific theological differences and some institutional differences around inclusion. 
right. and what that meant. Um, we're all wrestling to figure out what's the best next step. We had the traditional plan. We had the one church plan. We had the um, comprehensive conference plan. Do you recall sort of conference. connectional? Yes, connectional <laughs> conference plan. I can't yeah. even get it right. <laughs> well, we too far, so it was <sighs> Do you remember some of your discernment of wrestling with these plans and yeah. which one you needed to support and 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 what you thought was going to be best for us for our denomination moving forward? Yeah, sure. So, you know, so, so much to understanding. General Conference, the special called session 2019, you have to understand 2016. Mm -hmm. And there was, and I know some people were watching online that weren't present, but there was this moment in time when the whole General Conference came to a standstill. Yeah. And the woman, I can't remember exactly, it was around LGBTQ inclusion. And, and the woman that was, speaking was someone that was in my small group in my subcommittee in judicial administration. Mm. And I remember the pain and she would, she actually was in a different place around inclusion than I found myself in. And I remember she was so she was in so much pain, an attorney. And I found her afterwards and she and I had been a, in each other's presence enough to have connected. And I was like, I just need to give you a, a big hug and you just know that I'm praying for you. So there was this piece of, even in our disagreement, we could still be sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, but general conference that it really spun out of control. Yeah. As we remember, and but as a delegation, there's this beautiful picture that someone snapped of us in a huddle praying, mm -hmm. and I actually posted it on my Facebook when it came up on my time hop not that long ago. Yeah. And uh, and we were very diverse in our delegation, yeah. And we we had this place where we could connect, and we were connecting in prayer, certainly. But but general, so general conference was really hard, and now now I'm full in the whole understanding what's what's at hand right yeah i was invited at one point to be part of this the founding steering team of what became um the uh uniting methodists so i was invited up to nashville i mm. somehow got sort of pegged as the female that leaned right and mm. maybe she could be someone that was a and i consider myself a bridge builder i would say i that's kind of who i am and actually the the plan that I landed on was the connectional conference plan. And while I re was reading this would never pass, there wouldn't be maybe the, the support for it. I saw it as enough of a plan that would give us enough space and grace to stay together. And that was what I was interested in. Now you have to remember who I am. I'm a person that if I have an issue, it's abandonment. Like that's my, that's my, my hurt that yeah. I still can. So the idea of my denomination, my annual conference, my church dividing was never something I would have wanted. So, um, 
So the Connectional Conference plan to me was the plan that I was going to support. We got to 2019 and it was a rough time. Yeah. And um, the traditional plan was prevailing, not by much, but prevailing. And, um, and then there was a lot of grief, a lot of pain. Um, in the last few moments of, I remember I was with two other women, a, a lay woman on our delegation and a clergy woman in our delegation who were in the same basic theological space that I was around um, marriage and um, ordination, LGBTQ persons. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember very much feeling like I was not fitting with the rest of the Western church so much. Mm -hmm. And, and then walking outside with those two women and the Hillsborough Baptist people were protesting and I felt like, and now I don't fit here either. So it was yeah. just part of this, I'm not fitting in anymore. Uh, so when, so we had that last minute effort. Remember that, Derek? I do. As you were talking about the Connectional Conference plan, I was like, we were we were signing that that petition. I remember yeah. this. Yeah. So it was like the middle of the night, maybe the night before it all ended. I can't remember, but and uh, it, things were clearly falling apart. And maybe enough of us saw that if we didn't come to something different, it was it, there would be a lot of fracture. And so uh, we, there was a group of us that started thinking maybe the Connectional Conference Plan could get some energy. And ultimately, it didn't. But we, you and I, and some others started working towards it. Yeah. Um, and it was that night when I it was middle of the night that I sent a. a a note to a friend who was supportive of the Connectional Conference plan, someone outside of our conference and inquired about it. But I put a Facebook post that yeah. I was hoping that God would move in a powerful way through the Connectional Conference plan. And that was probably one of the biggest mistakes I'd ever made mm. was doing that social media post. Unwittingly, I didn't understand that that, post was going to uh, create a, a trajectory that I I did not want or I just didn't understand it would happen. And um, this is before we had the term cancel culture. Mm -hmm. And but that post supporting that plan, and at that point, it wasn't the one church plan, right? Yeah. So there was a lot of energy in our annual conference, I would say, around the one church plan. And um, and so that post created a fracture for me back here in Florida that that I'm, I still feel. Why don't we take a quick break here and we'll pick back up. So Dion, this podcast, Bar the Conference, it's about the stories uh, that United Methodists are holding and how those stories will shape 
what we as a denomination become. And so it's been a lot of listening to the stories of friends and colleagues at different levels of the United Methodist Church. And we, you know, before the break, we were coming out of 2019 and, and the things that happened at 2019, particularly the passing of the traditional plan, I just believe is a really significant moment in the life of the United Methodist Church. And so I'd love for you to keep going. You made that Facebook post and you felt like that was the mistake. That was the, the thing. Um, can you tell me more about why you felt like that was not that was the mistake or that was the beginning of, of something. Sure. Yeah. So when, when the traditional plan, plan passed in my memory and general conference came to an end, we, we joked about that the monster trucks were coming in and something sand for the mm. next event that was happening in that space. And even um, Bishop Carter, who was the president of the Council of Bishops at that point, and obviously close to all of us, went to do a blessing. And and it, either his mic was off or there was so much commotion that no one even heard it. Yeah. And while there were people there that obviously voted for the traditional plan and others that did not, I did not experience anyone being anything but sad. Hmm. And, and I, it just so happened that a, a dear friend of ours that was on the, the delegation from the Eurasian conference came and stayed at our home about a week later with us. Hmm. And he told, um, me about how the Russian delegation was spit upon. And, mm. I mean, and I, I, I thought, what in the world has happened here? So I agree. It, I agree with you, Derek. It was a, a moment when the traditional plan passed that uh, made uh, this, this turn into a direction that none of us realized at that time how this would all play out. And so what happened to me personally is I got back to Florida and, uh, and a couple days later I got, um, uh, I told you already about the Facebook posts that I didn't, um, that created this, this energy around maybe who people thought I was. And I got an, a message from a clergy person in our conference that, um, that said, because of my particular understanding, as as they understood my me around LGBTQ inclusion, and um, that I made them throw up. And so I was in a place of like, wow. Talk about not feeling like a part of things. So it was quickly it was quickly falling apart for me personally. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and, and the interesting piece of all this is I was, I was a couple months away from being on the cabinet. So Bishop Carter had invited me to be a district superintendent. So this was all happening tangentially with a, or mm -hmm. in tangent, I mm -hmm. guess. And, um, 
about a month later, I decided I couldn't, because of an, a cabinet meeting, I couldn't attend the women clergy gathering that had happened. And certainly there was remorse and lament among so many of our, our colleagues in ministry. And people were grieving and trying to understand how we were going to move forward. And, and, and at that meeting, because my name was on forward for being elected to the 2020 delegation, I don't, I wasn't in the room. I don't know what the conversation was, but out of that meeting came a phone call from, from a clergy woman uh, who I, I had a lot of respect for that told me that the women of Florida, the Florida annual conference clergy women would not support my election to the delegation in 2020. So I remember that moment because I was actually driving to Lakeland to attend um, and um, uh, I was still on the Episcopacy Committee. Mm -hmm. I wasn't a district superintendent yet. So I was on my way to that meeting. And I remember even where I was driving, because sometimes you have those moments where you know exactly where I was. Yeah. So I was 417 coming around Orlando. Mm -hmm. And I remember having that conversation with this person and saying, so what's changed? And she was very clear. It was around my position around LGBTQ inclusion. And I said to her, I, I said, so this is a litmus test now? And she said, yeah, pretty much so. I said, okay, um, well, wow. I was just like really not even sure how to respond. And that, that shifted something for me mm -hmm. um, because where I had found a lot of support, uh, really re I respected many and felt respected, that was quickly shifting into a place where it didn't exist anymore. I yeah. felt rejected. I felt like I was not um, being, um, that I was only being defined by one perspective, one, one perspective that I had. Um, so that was, and, and it was especially hurtful as a female clergy person to hear that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dion, I, I want to step in just, Because I think sometimes in this moment, someone would say, well, you know, Dion, it's, it's, it's not like you're a queer person in the UMC right. who is experiencing all kinds of uh, discrimination or a person of color. It's like mm -hmm. you, you, you got a phone call a, that you weren't gonna, and I can, I you can, I can hear someone saying that to themselves as they're listening to that part of the story. And I just, I just want to name that I think one of the most important pieces of really listening to each other's stories is that we don't compare our sufferings. Right. There's a conversation about privilege. There's a conversation about which stuff we should attend to, based on the historical. Um, that the, the historicity of that discrimination, yes, all of that is fair in certain conversations, but there's something about listening to each other 
and just holding space for each other's pain and not feeling like there needs to be. And I think I've, I've said this, like, we don't have to, we don't have to compare our suffering. <laughs> we, right. we can just hold space for it. And in our conversations, you have even at times, I hope this is okay for you to say that you said, Oh, Derek, but it's not even anywhere close to what you're experiencing. And I'm like, we don't need to do that. Like, if so I just wanted to just bump in really quickly and just yeah, make that clear that in this moment, um, all I'm doing is listening to your story and, and holding space for it. And, and gosh, I cannot imagine what may, what may feel like a logical course of events in an, to someone else for you mm-hmm. is a drastic disintegration of relationships and connection that you didn't know was coming. Yeah, and 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 thank you, Derek, because it's only because you and I have had a history of holding space for each other. Yeah, that I'm even willing to do this. <laughs> and. Right. I don't take it lightly at all. Um, and and I told a lot of my story most recently in a point of cabinet meeting, just because there was a moment where it was appropriate for me to share some of this with uh, some new people on the cabinet. And and I had shared all of it with our new bishop, Bishop Tom Berlin. Um, and so he knows everything I've said already and what I will share on the podcast. And, um, and part of, part of that is, is me acknowledging, and I know I've said this to you, Derek, like I get my privilege Mm -hmm. and I get the, the opportunities that have been given to me. Mm. And I am, uh, I don't take that lightly. And in this, this, this world of ands, and my pain is real. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it's so funny, the comparing pain, right? There, was, there were times when, I, when my children were young and they were complaining to me about their own stuff, whatever it was. And I, I would say, and you have no idea how good you have it. And I tell my story. <laughs> and guess what? It didn't help them. At the moment. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, oh, oh man. So anyway, but yeah. I, I appreciate you holding my story as that sacred story that I have. Thank you. Absolutely. So yeah, the, those those elections came so quickly on the heels yeah. of I mean, I don't know if anyone really knew that it was gonna be three, four months between the passing of the traditional plan and then the election of a new set of delegates. Um, And so much happened. And I can say that for many people who share my theological and institutional convictions um, and my thoughts around inclusion, um, and I wasn't out publicly even at that time. Right. Um, you know, we 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 celebrated. We we felt like we, you know, for for those of us who call ourselves centrist progressives, it was one of the first times that we were able to um, be be on the same page about anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I do remember 
I do remember looking over at you at one point. There's even a point that we shared the stage together. We were sitting next to each other. We were both wearing jean jackets. Talking about our fresh expressions. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't elected to the delegation. Can you speak to what that annual conference was like for you? Yeah, so uh, going into annual conference 2019, um, it's, it's one thing to be at general conference and to feel this disconnection. It's a, it's a different thing to come back home and feel it. And so I'd already had these senses that this was not going well. And if you remember for me personally, and there were the laments that were being signed and and I think that became a checkpoint who signed, who didn't sign the laments that were out there and and um, got to annual conference and then um, there were t-shirts that some were wearing. It felt, for me, it felt more like a political rally. Uh, but then we had this electing the delegates and, and everyone organizes around this and I understand that and that's just totally fine. Um, I think the piece that, that was, again, another startling thing for me was my husband actually received a text. There was one point in some of the, the election times that my name had sort of popped up there and, and a, a, a text went out that said, do not elect Dion Hammond, do not vote for Dion Hammond. And so when, when that came to Craig and then he shared it with me, he was, he was angry. And, and it felt like it had shifted from vote for someone to vote against someone else. Mm -hmm. and, and that was a shift that I began to experience around my own personhood, that um, we all were uh, voting for people that were perhaps like-minded or agreed with. And of course, a vote for someone is a vote against someone. Like I get that, and but that that shifted a lot of things for me. And for for those of us that were in that place of um, understanding, supporting the current language in the Book of Discipline um, around marriage, I, I started to wonder: Do I belong here anymore? Hmm. I was feeling that already at general conference, but now to be sitting in Florida, that was a whole different level of, of feeling and thought. And, and not pieces came to me as a surprise. Like I had no idea there was going to be t-shirts that people wore. I, you know, and right now I'm on the edge of being in the conference leadership. Like I'm in the appointed cabinet meetings and there's, and I'm still in the dark about a lot of happenings that are around. Mm. And, and, so that, it was a really hard annual conference. And many of people that I would say are my friends were elected to the delegation. Hmm. And so I remember after it was kind of all done, because we went through the election pretty quickly, if you remember. Yeah. Uh, I texted after kind of a no night of sleep that some, some people, some colleagues that are 
that I've been close with just saying, just know, no matter what, I'm praying for you. I'm serving not the greatest place, but I trust that God is going to work good through all of this. And left annual conference feeling pretty low. I, you know, and mm -hmm. I wish a couple of things had been done differently for sure. Just, and you know, we're learning. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah. It is these painful moments that um, lead us to make decisions, to take, yeah. Yeah. to respond, to do things. Um, I know for me, that was the beginning of me. I had already been on a journey of discerning that I was gonna come out publicly, right. but there were things that happened in those few months that sort of pushed me to be more honest with people and to allow people who said that they loved me to love me, mm -hmm. to love to love me with, new, with information that would be new for them. Right. Um, there are some that, are, that, that would probably wonder why I did what I did and, and coming out publicly um, almost a year later. And I live with the way that I came out and I live with the, the, the process and, and the way people found out mostly via, via blogs. I think there's some people that would have liked me to sit down and have coffee with them and, <laughs> and some that would have rathered I just stayed in the closet and not, sure. you know, um, I think some, some of my colleagues and friends felt forced to make a decision about me mm. because I was because I was now public with with this information about who I am and, and who I believe God has created me to be. Sure. And so I I I live with those conversations, right? And um it is what it is. I remember you emailing me mm. to let me know. I did want to make sure that my district superintendents did not find out. Um, and and I just want to name, I emailed you because I respect our friendship. And also you are one of my district superintendents. Yeah. And and I, I didn't want you to, there are people in your district that I imagined would reach out to you once they heard, and I wanted you to have as much information prior. Um, that was just, you know, that was just a- Always a good idea. idea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> From a DS perspective, yes, more information yeah. is- And I, it may not have come, out, come up at all, and I, I, gosh, I hope it didn't, but- yeah. But so we, we, we're, we're all making decisions based on the information that we have and based yeah. on what we believe is the best thing for us. And, Dion, did you want to talk at all about some of the decisions that you made as a response to the things that had been happening leading up to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So after annual conference 2019, there was a growing group of people that felt that, um, that there maybe wasn't, you know, the irony of it all, maybe not room for some in our future United Methodist Church and this fracture around the traditional plan being passed and more restrictive language, quite honestly. Um, 
And so if you remember, that's when a group of United Methodist leaders, several that we know well now, um, started to form something called the protocol. And so, yeah. so, so in that atmosphere of not quite knowing if you fit in or if I fit in, I'll use my own language, and the protocol being created and feeling um, that perhaps asking the question, is it time, is it more healthy to move in a different direction? Mm -hmm. So that question uh, came, so two colleagues on the cabinet, we started talking about that in December. So Jay Farrell, Rini Hernandez, mm -hmm. Jan Hammond. We started having conversation of what would it look like if, if we move into a different space and place and around the protocol when the protocol, if, the, if this thing called the protocol actually comes to fruition. So we started just kicking some ideas around. It, there wasn't like a huge plan, but praying together and asking some others what you think about this and some affirmations around that. And then the protocol was passed or not passed, but presented. Mm -hmm. And there was a plan for, um, for those who felt they needed to move into a different place, a, a way to do that. And so at that time, Jay Reaney and I felt like, wow, is this, is this really a possibility? And is this a good thing? Would this bring healing? Not division, but healing hmm. to a fractured conference. Mm -hmm. And 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 if you remember, the the Wesleyan Covenant Association was also creating something. And in that time, uh, Jay Reaney and I were not comfortable with it because it was not. We were concerned around appointments, specifically around persons of color and women. Mm -hmm. And uh, two out of the three of us had experience firsthand. And all mm -hmm. of us at this point now had district superintendent experience with, with uh, staff parish committees. Mm -hmm. So we were looking to do something that, that had was very intentional around diversity of appointments around women and persons of color. So that was a big part of, of, of this. Um, so as we started to put some preliminary thoughts together, uh, we had a, a we were as a cabinet up in St. Simon's Island in January 2020. And there we met, the three of us met with Bishop Carter and we started telling him some of our thoughts around this. And we spent about 30 to 40 minutes talking with him and telling him everything that we were thinking about something different that would be for our churches that found themselves in, in a more, I don't want to use the right labels. I, I hate using the word traditional. I'll make people mad if I say Orthodox, whatever you want to mm -hmm. say mm -hmm. uh, around maybe the current language in the book of discipline around human sexuality, around mm -hmm. marriage. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we talked about it with him and, and, he, uh, he said, well, right now, continue both and. So continue on the cabinet and keep exploring what you're talking about. And then he prayed with us. We prayed together. 
and I left, we left that meeting going, what, wow. So we're okay to take some next steps. And before that gathering, before that small meeting, um, the three of us had talked about how if Bishop Carter says, you're crazy, no, we cease and desist, we would have. We were all clear about that. So we left that time. Um, and if you remember some of the protocol, there was going to be this option to move into a new denomination come January 1st of 2021, I believe. And so very quickly, we realized, well, if that was even going to happen, we would need to have a 501c3 so that a, a church could get, you know, a five, you know, giving a non non for profit ability to to give get donations and all those things, and so what the predecessor to that is uh, being incorporated. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, we had a person that's an attorney started the legal pieces, and all the midst of this, we're talking about with other people. But this was not a secret. There was nothing uh, quiet. What I would say that one of the things I regret is not talking about with the appointment of cabinet. Hmm. So we were talking about it with people that would find themselves in a similar theological space around mm -hmm. this particular question. Um, so what happened though was uh, this, it was discovered that there was incorporation papers that were filed and we, we had a meeting in Lakeland, a point of cabinet meeting, and that was the February meeting. And it kind of all blew up. Mm. And, um, and there was a lot of hurt and pain that happened around the three of us moving forward in this. Um, and a, a lot happened that week. And Understandably so, um, and it started to get out that three people, three cabinet members had created uh, their own corporation and around a different denomination. Mm -hmm. And so a communication needed to be sent to the annual conference, which um, we supported. However, I wish we had pressed the pause button. These are the things that you wish you had done differently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of emotion all around. And um, so a communication went out on that Thursday of, of that week. And, and Jay decided to step off the cabinet. Remy um, decided to stay in, on the cabinet in a part-time role and, and go to a church. And I decided to stay on the cabinet. Um, in the role of district superintendent. Mm -hmm. um, and what happened was a communication went out to the annual conference and it didn't include the meeting that we had around the conversation with Bishop Carter. And that not having that piece in that communication that went out was devastating to me. I didn't catch it. Um, I wish we had read, just kind of waited. And I've learned so much that I wish I would have just waited and had maybe a, you know someone else read it that was outside of this 
this emotional gathering that we were in. And, um, and so what happened for me is that it, it came across that I was betraying, going behind my bishop's back and doing something without his knowledge. Um, and the other piece that, that I wish I had done was after that initial conversation in St. Simon's Island, I wish I had clarified in writing, you know, when, when you say next steps, what do you mean? What, or live in that both hand place, right? We, we know all the things we wish we had done because I think the outcome would have been very different. The gracious part, the grace-filled part is that even in that week when that was a, a horrendous week, Bishop Carter and I shared a time when we were in an okay place together. And that that's probably what allowed me to continue on his cabinet and for him to trust me as a district superintendent. So we did our own personal work mm -hmm. and continued to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so, but that, that's what happened there. And I'm sure there's a, other people perceive it differently. That's what, that was my experience. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then pretty soon after that, it kind of went across the connection and uh, invitations that I had once had were then declined and a lot of, lot of repair work in the district of building trust again. And at the same time, holding to uh, my own convictions, theological pieces and wanting to um, continue and be in relationship. And at one point, I think Bishop Carter put it this way, for some, you're too much. For others, you're not enough. And that was sort of how it felt. So. Yeah. Dion, I'm just so, it's my privilege that you would not just share that information with me, but be willing to even share that on this podcast. I'll ask this question. After all of that went down, why did you want to stay on the cabinet? So that's a that's a great question, and and it's probably part of why I continue to stay on the cabinet. I've stayed this long. Yeah, is think back to my thought around the 2016 delegation, mm -hmm. that it's important for all voices to be at the table. Yeah. And, um, and while some were very angry with me, there were others that were saying, thank you for taking this step and putting yourself out there. So there was a both and all going on at the same time. Then there were some that were already involved in a different organizing group that were angry also that I would be part of an alternate plan. So it, it was an interesting space to be in. And at the same time, I felt called to, to be here, to be mm -hmm. present. And because I knew that the, the 
pastors, the laity, the clergy of Florida were a diverse group of people. And if my voice wasn't there, maybe part of our, the whole voice would not be heard. But it was a hard time. And, and you know, it all coincided with COVID too. So we went yeah. through a very isolated time. Mm-hmm. And so, and I hate to say this, but in some spaces for, for me, that was probably the space I needed to continue. Hmm. I'm not sure if I had to be in person multiple times publicly, I could have, I was deep into therapy, spiritual direction, coaching to maintain any sort of homeostasis, I like to say. And it was also a time of um, growth. So it was a time to really examine to the depth of who I am, what are, why, the why behind doing some things. So while it was difficult, it was also a time of growing and pruning. Hmm. Dion, as you reflect on, you know, the things that have happened these last couple of years, um, delayed journal conference, COVID, because of COVID, obviously, the launch of the GMC and other things that have been very specific to our conference as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what, 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 is, what, what has been holding you? What, is, what has been the word that has kept you just giving it another try the next day? So these these relationships they matter, right? So Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They matter. And just like I don't want to be judged as single dimensional. I know my friend Derek isn't single dimensional. Mm-hmm. And um and so if if we really believe we can be this place for everyone, then everyone needs to be included. Yeah. And um, I, I still may hold my, I do hold my own, my own thoughts or my own theology around all of this. And I, I do believe there can be space for many not always sure how it works out well. Like, I think it's hard. I think this is a very hard and there's a lot of ambiguity around it. Mm -hmm. So I don't claim to have the answers here. When I had a colleague come to me, made it, drove to Melbourne and said to me, uh, wanted to know why I came to the, the position I did. And I said at one point, I said, you know, I really hold on to what the Apostle Paul said, that we see through a mirror dimly. We, all of us, all of us see through a mirror dimly. And I am I am doing my very best to, to read scripture and with my quadrilateral and, and be authentic to what I think I, I, you know, what I believe and be present. 
Mm-hmm. And then I said, and I understand that if I have would have changed my mind and heart around this, my life would have probably been a lot easier over the last four years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I get that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I, I've searched that out some, mm-hmm. right? So, so that, that's why I show up. I, I think I continue to show up uh, because there's a part of me that loves what I do. That's one part of it. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, I think I can, you know, I, I love what I do. I don't, I don't need to explain that. And I think it's important to have a, a diversity of voices yeah. in leadership in the annual conference. If we're really going to say what we say we believe, I, and yeah. I have questions around if that's even possible, and if it's true, so I, I would be lying if I didn't say that. Some days it's truer than others. Yeah, you had said that you had shared a lot of this story with Bishop Berlin, who, at the time of this recording, has only been our bishop for six months, six seven months. Um, how, to the degree that you can speak to this, how did he receive you? Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly you're still on his cabinet. Um, what, has been, what has that been like for you? Yeah. So, um, so when Bishop Berlin got elected, I, I was actually, in the, I'm not in this role anymore after uh, our new appointed year, our new calendar year conference here, I guess we would say, the Dean of the Cabinet. So, and I actually, um, I knew Bishop Tom from being at some other settings with him. So he and I were together in Nashville in a small group for a number of hours back, I think it was 2017, 2018. And we have some common, really dear friends. And so we had a couple of interactions. So actually when he was elected up at Junaluska, I saw him, he's like, yeah, thank you. So anyway, so when he got to Florida, he and I met pretty quickly a couple of weeks in. And at that point, I it had been a hard couple of years serving this mm-hmm. role for everything I've uh, already spoken about. And I, I just decided, you know what, I need to be very transparent about who I am and where I am and um, and not hold back. So Bishop Tom, he heard in that early meeting, we had a really good conversation around where I was around the book of discipline and the, around, um, same gender marriage and some of those pieces and, uh, and who I found myself to be. And then he came to our district and we got to spend some, a lot of time together. And so everything you've heard on this podcast, he has heard every last detail. And he asked me many questions around all the different pieces. And he held my story much as much like you are today, Derek. And, uh, and he asked me to stay and Mm -hmm. to work towards um, creating this place where multiple voices are heard and I won't conjecture to what the pressure he's been under around mm. me. He's told mm. me some of that. So, mm. um, 
and maybe that's passed now. I don't know. Um, so he, and a year ago after another hard annual conference, annual conference, 2022, two words I was given, I really believe that the Holy spirit gave me these two words and it was to be tenderhearted and honorable. Mm. And so I have, that has been where I have found myself for this, you know, 13, 14 months to stay in that place that I want to be honorable. I want my yay to be yay, no matter who I'm with. I want to be the same person, whether I'm talking to Derek or someone else or whoever, my kids or mm -hmm. leading an informational meeting for the United Methodist Church or doing a church conference vote. Mm -hmm. And I want to be tenderhearted. Like, I don't want to get to the end of my life and be angry and bitter, even in, from the pain. Even when sometimes yeah. I feel <laughs> am I entitled to be angry or bitter or something, just like anyone else would in any other situation. But, uh, but that's not what we're called to do, right? I don't mm. want to be hard-hearted. I want to be tender-hearted. Yeah. So um, I don't know if any of that makes sense, but... Makes a ton of sense. In that place of honorable and tenderhearted, I, I think I said after annual conference 2022, another hard one for us with the clergy session that happened the way it did. Yeah, yeah. Um, another hard piece was right after that was um, a lawsuit that was filed. And because of my role as a district superintendent, I was named in the lawsuit. And it was yet another moment where the irony of all of that was just so much. Yeah. And, um, and I had people reaching out to me saying, oh, it's not personal. I said, well, no, it's pretty personal. You see, my name is written there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was very personal. And so I've continued in this place, not quite ever feeling like I fit into any one group. Because my my colleagues and friends that have been moving out of the denomination, some you know we and there's a diversity there. I wasn't there. I'm still on the cabinet, and yet, but also not maybe what some people hope for. Mm -hmm. So, just a weird kind of place. Ambiguity is a good word for all of it. Yeah, and but also that that lawsuit has fractured other relationships. So, um, so while there's fracture, maybe on the left side of things, there's a whole lot of fracture on the right as well. And Dion, it actually is a lot of that reality. Um, that was why I extended the invitation. We, we could have, you know, the, the story you shared is it, 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 I definitely think it's going to be, I think people are going to resonate with some of that. But the, the piece that really, for me, was important is that there are individuals who, whether it's the spirit hasn't told them to leave or they were raised United Methodist, they, they attend to die United Methodist. They, there's this group of people who feel caught in the middle. And at times, and I can name this at times as a person who often is the target of some of 
some of some of the animosity and some of the 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 anger of 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 members of our church you know sometimes i'm like i'm sorry you feel caught in the middle <laughs> i really am and also but i i think there's a good number of folks who the last few years just not not feeling any connection to any voice any group any perspective any direction any plan and that's a group of people that need to know that they're not alone in this yeah. moment and that that would very much sum up where i am right now yeah so there's there are people that find themselves in a place like me. And, and, and part of me, what happened in uh, Bishop Tom, the conversation that he and I had, I told him, I said, I need to, and he asked me, what do you, one of the questions, you know, what do you require uh, to stay? I said, I need to be able to show up fully with yeah. my whole story. And even yeah. when you and I were talking about doing this podcast, you know, um, like I have to tell the whole story and yeah. not that it's any better, worse than anyone else's story. Like we've already told about, but it, the whole story has to be shared. Yeah. And so I have to show up fully as Dion Hammond. And if that doesn't work, well, you know, so be it. That's okay. Cause God is creating a plan no matter what. Yeah. So and so that was the piece, and I and I've shared that you know the appointed cabinet. There's a high trust level, mm -hmm. so I've shared that with that group of people. That uh, like I can only show up fully and be. I can only do it this way. I and there's been times in the past four years where I haven't showed up fully, and like I can't live in that space anymore. Yeah, and kind of be worried all the time what someone else is thinking, worried yeah. about walking into a room, worried about how a podcast is going to land. Things like that. Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm just sort of over that part. Mm -hmm. Part of it is doing some healthy things like not being on social media a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. Just deciding that that's not a, a healthy place for me. So I do occasionally, but nothing like never say, yeah. <laughs> certainly never post about anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It's amazing. I mean, and, and I, you know that I know the power of a Twitter post that you wish you could take back. Okay. <laughs> um, oh. mm. What does it mean for Dion Hammond to remain in the United Methodist Church? Probably similar to what it means for anyone to remain. Mm -hmm is a sense of belonging, sense of respect, a sense of uh, not feeling ashamed of mm -hmm. who I am, who God's made me to be. Um, I, I wanna be a respecter of persons and I want to feel respected. Mm -hmm. Grace, right? Mm -hmm. The relationships, it, it's one thing to 
stay in a place, but if it's lonely, I don't want to do lonely anymore. Yeah. And that's been a piece that I've had, I've struggled with. Yeah. You know, um, question is, you know, who wants to show up somewhere and be alone or lonely? Mm. There's a difference between loneliness and being alone. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I still struggle with that. That's a, that's, that's hard for someone like me who's wired a certain way. That hasn't gotten all fixed. There's definitely, um, you know, if we're gonna be a denomination that includes all, that is still continuing um, what what has been our space for theological diversity, diversity of thought. They're definitely, because of some of the things that have happened, some some work that those of us who would not call ourselves quote unquote traditionalists, mm-hmm. not a great, you know, not the best label, but what we'll use for this this particular question. Um, there's definitely work um, that, you know, we need to do to say to those who would identify as traditionalists that there is a place for you here. But I'm curious, Dion, what work would you s- suggest to those who identify as traditionalists who feel called to stay? Would you, is there work that you would suggest to them that they they should consider as they're also discerning staying in the United Methodist Church? Yeah, so that's, you know, I had this one, this amazing moment that, uh, so as the Dean of the Cabinet in May, we had a one day retreat to meet with the ordinance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I went into that space tentatively because again i'm not i haven't over four years been sure if i show up am i going to is that going to be how that's going to be received Mm -hmm. and that could be a lot of me in my own head so i'm not projecting that on anyone else and i've had that experience of not being well received so it's a both and yeah so i showed up to that space and i heard each person's story of how they came to follow Jesus and their story of their call into ministry. And I was again reminded about how powerful each sacred story is Mm -hmm. and how people that I had a perception of in that room, a lot changed that day for me. And so I would say, if I was to be asked, what's the work that we need to do? We need to find out each other's stories because there's a whole lot more that we probably will connect on than what we will disconnect on. Yeah, yeah. And so I just, it was such a, it was a day, and I I shared it with the group that I needed this day. Hmm. I needed this experience to, uh, in my life. So that was a, 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 another defining moment and allowed and gave me hope that maybe there is some room for me here too. Mm. Mm. So that was a good day. And honestly, annual conference for the most part was a good experience for me as well this year. Yeah. So um, just some things that have happened in a similar time that have helped, but I would say that would, so 
as traditionalists needing to do some work. Um, I, I think that it, it's because of some of the experiences out there, like any other person's experience, it's easier perhaps to disconnect and, and stay off on your own and whatever that means. But it's exactly when we need to lean into relationship and to hear how Jesus is working in their others' lives. Yeah. Dion, I um, have just had just the depth of gratitude for you and your willingness to stay in relationship with me personally, directly, phone calls and meeting up for lunch and checking in via text and um, the mutuality yeah. of concern that I've experienced in our friendship. And I'm, I'm grateful for it. I and some will disagree with what I'm about to say. I, I want a church where you do not feel like you're alone. Yes, I also want to be in that church. <laughs> I also want to show up fully. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be affirmed for my gifts, absolutely. And big all caps and, I want Dion Hammond to feel all of that too. And to the degree that our, our friendship and this conversation gets us closer to that kind of church, um, gosh, I praise God for it. Mm -hmm. So thank you oh, yeah. for, your, for trusting um, me with this, this story, um, being willing to share it on this podcast. Um, but most of all, thank you for being a true friend. You know, I love you. I very do. Much. And I love you, my friend. <laughs> well, nice and thank friend. you for the opportunity and, and being willing to take the risk on me. Oh. I don't even know if it was a risk for me, but <laughs> it's been a great privilege. <laughs> so, thank you, Dion. You're welcome. Blessings. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Bar of the Conference is produced by the team at Wesley's Revival, a ministry of Studio Wesley. Subscribe to this show on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or Google platforms so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks for joining us, and see you next time.